Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy. These are the words he gives. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. As we always do in this time, this moment of worship together, we ask your blessing on us. Bless us with your word. Speak to us that we might hear. Shape us in a new way. Give us eyes for the world you created, your work in it, and our role. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So after a week off, we're picking back up with the final two weeks of our series on the different generations. And to recap, we've learned a number of things about generations along the way. We've been using the stuff from generation theorists William Strauss and Neil Howe, their generational gurus. And one of the things they've taught us is that the length of a generation is about 18 to 24 years, somewhere in there. Every 18 to 24 years or so, a new generation begins. Another thing we learned is that there are four types of generations and that these four types follow in a pattern and they cycle over and over and over again in this pattern. The cycle begins always with the idealist generation type followed by the civic, then, excuse me, followed by the adaptive, then the civic, then the reactive. And then it starts all over again. We are in our fourth turn or fourth generational cycle since the beginning of our country. Another thing we've learned, the final thing we learned is that of the four types, two are dominant and two are recessive. The two dominant generation types are the civic generation and then the idealist generation. The two recessive types are the adaptive and the reactive. And so the cycle goes back and forth between dominant to, to recessive, dominant to recessive, oh, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, we've talked about all of them. 
except for one. We've talked about, we started with the civic generation type, the two that we still barely hang on to are some from the, gener the GI generation and now the millennials. We've talked about the adaptive generation type, the silence and the homelanders, the youngest uh, existing. And we've talked about the idealist type of generation or the boomer generation currently. Today we're talking about my generation. People have wondered, was I a boomer, was I a Gen X, or where am I, am I a millennial? Some even thought that, thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> My generation, the reaction, re reactionist generation. Reaction, gen reactionist generation types are a recessive type generation, exactly like the adaptives. They are recessive. That is the only thing they hold in common. Everything else about them is almost a polar opposite, okay? For example, as we've said, where adaptive generations come of age following a secular crisis during a time of outward focus, reactives come of age following a spiritual awakening during a time of inner focus. Adaptives grow up overprotected and suffocated by their parents. Reactives grow up underprotected and criticized by their parents. Now these are generalizations, you know, we've got to, it's not everybody, but generational trends show this. Adaptives tend to be risk-averse, long-term thinkers. Reactives tend to be risk-taking, short-term thinkers. In other words, adaptives tend to follow the rules. Reactives tend to try and decide for themselves whether they even care about knowing what the rules are in the first place. I'm sorry, that's just who we are. <laughs> so reactives grow up following a spiritual awakening during a time of inner focus they are, tend to be risk taking uh, risk, risk taking and criticized in their, in their upbringing that's the reactive generation to get a perfect example, or a close to perfect example, of, of the feel of what it means to be part of a reactive generation during the coming of age time, I have a clip from the 80s movie Top Gun. You remember Top Gun? Tom Cruise is a fighter pilot named Maverick. Perfect reactive generation name, Maverick. You know, I'm out there bucking the system. And his partner, Goose, who's his partner in crime, you know. And, and in this scene, they are learning, practicing how to dogfight and in the air and learning all that stuff. And they outmaneuver the teacher, the instructor, by breaking a few rules. And the instructor's upset with them. And they're about to break another one. Take a look. Get your butts above the hard deck and return to base immediately. Yes, sir. 
Tower, this is Ghost Rider requesting a flyby. Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. No, no, ma'am, this is not a good idea. Sorry, Goose, but it's time to bust the tower. That's the feeling at least. It's time to buzz the tower. Sometimes it's just time to buzz the tower. And that time is now. Oh, there's a rule against it, I know, but it's not like a anyone's gonna die rule. It's just kind of some rule. It's time to buzz the tower, man. That's what it feels like to grow up in a reactive generation. If you know the movie, it goes on. It's, it's a whole movie about his own self-discovery. That's, that's kind of the movie, what it's about. He's got a troubled past, and that's, that's also endemic of a reactive generation type growing up, trying to come to terms with the world we feel like in, we've inherited, a world that is confusing and messy and the one we don't understand. And we're just trying to figure it all out. You might call reactives wanderers, trying to feel their way along, trying to find their own way, figure out who they are. In fact, it's as if at the very bottom of their soul lies a deep need to be loved. Does God love me? Does God love me? For real? You get that same feeling when you read Timothy, if you kind of look at it in that lens, particularly in this first part of Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul, Timothy is part of, I think, it's my guess, I'm taking guesses at this whole thing, but my guess is he's part of a reactive generation. He followed Paul and generation behind him. He's about that age. But Timothy's not like Maverick. He's more like Goose the one behind him sitting there saying, I don't know if this is a good idea. That's more like Timothy. He's one of those. But he is part of this reactive generation that has inherited a world that they don't understand. They don't know what's going on. It's confusing and divisive and threatening. And they're trying to find their own way. And Paul pulls Timothy under his wing and mentors him like a father would a son. There's a whole backstory to Timothy. His father's kind of on the out. He's a Greek. He's not a Jew. It's this whole story. And you can just see Timothy trying to figure it all out. And as he's growing up, following Paul around, he witnesses all kinds of things. He sees a crazy, mixed-up, divisive, threatening world. <clears throat> he watches as Paul fights and fights and fights for this thing called the Christian church, which at this point looks like it's absolutely going to fail. Not going to make it. No way. That's the feeling at this point. And he's following Paul around, and he's, he's even with Paul in Jerusalem when he gets arrested. There are threats on Paul's life. He spends two years, a couple of years with him in Rome during the first two years of his imprisonment. He's witnessing all this stuff. And Paul, in the meantime, fully places his trust in Timothy. And he sends him to all these churches. Why? Because they have problems. And he wants Timothy to go help them with their problems. The church in Galatia has problems from the outside. The church in Ephesus, where Timothy is during the writing of this letter, has problems from the inside. Problem after problem after problem. A big fat mess. What do I do with this world? Where am I in it? Paul, in this second part, 
second letter tries to reassure him. He says things like, recalling your tears, I long to come to you so that I may be filled with joy. In other words, you bring me joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, he says, that was with your grandmother and your mother, and now I am sure sits with you. Do you catch that little hesitancy on the part of Paul? I'm sure it sits with you. It's almost as if he knows it's there, but you don't show it all that much, Timothy, because I know you're afraid to reach an arm out into this world for fear of it being chopped off. But I know it's there. Sincere faith. And then he tries to motivate him. Right? Rekindle, he says. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you. Rekindle the gift of God that is in you. It's as if Paul knows deep down that Timothy's wandering around a crazy world that he feels like he inherited following the spiritual awakening of Jesus' time and now all this divisiveness and threats. And at the bottom of it all is a real need to be loved. Does God love me? Does God love me for real? Generation X, my people. <laughs> Same dynamic. It's not in every single one of us. These are generational trends. But even if it's not me individually or someone else, we know it's there. We grew up with it. And I want to give you a sense. This is the slice I'm taking can't talk about everything in a generation, so I'm picking one thing. One thing is the coming of age of Generation X during high school and college and beyond right in those years. We came of age in the time following the spiritual awakening of the 60s and 70s, right? That's when we came of age. And we feel like we've inherited a world we don't understand. This is what Strauss and this is how they put it. We feel like We've just come to the end of the party after it's all over and are now being blamed for everything that went on. That's the feeling. You know, you can argue the logic of it, but that's the, the feeling. Give you some statistics. By the rest of the world, reactives and Generation X have been typically shunned somewhat, kind of looked down upon. We're the most aborted generation to date. As children, we have grown up in more houses, more families of divorce than any other generation to date. Divorce skyrocketed during, during our childhood. We were left on our own, as much at least as the previous reactive generations. Latchkey kids, children 14 and under who are left alone after school until their parents get home a couple of few hours later or whatever went up, roughly doubled in 19, the 1970s. So we grow up in this world where we're left on our own. We're in this complex system of families that are in various forms of dysfunction that we don't understand. Everything is after us, we feel like, and we're being punished for it and criticized for it ourselves. Older generations at our childhood tended to call us lost, kind of not worth much, not getting much of an education, 
those are the words that were kind of thrown at us. When the Simpsons TV show started, when I was in college, right at the coming of age time, the tagline happened to be this about my generation. It's like they're a bunch of aging Bart Simpsons, possibly armed and dangerous. That's the tagline that was given to us. And we feel like We've come to the party after it's all over and being blamed for it. The image that Strauss and Howe use is this one. They say, picture going to the beach at the end of the summer after all of the hoopla and the fun. And everyone's, now everyone's just sunburned. And, and there's debris everywhere from all the stuff, you know. And you can barely walk around barefoot. And the sand is hot and you step on a bottle and some cop steps up and gives you a ticket for littering. That's what it felt like, they say, to grow up in Generation X. If you really want to know what that sense is like, I have another movie for you if you hadn't seen it. It's an old one. A John Hughes movie. John Hughes is our guy. John Hughes, our dude. He's our He's our man. The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. It's a film about a bunch of high school kids starting to come of age slowly, right? And they've been placed in detention for reasons that they think are just dumb, just, just stupid, just dumb reasons. And the whole, the whole movie is about this group of completely different people coming together to look out in the world and say, forget you all. I mean, that's really the gist of the movie. They come together and they see it, say at the end of it, just forget you all and your stupid expectations and rules. That's the, it's trying to capture the feel of being in that generation. There's a, a nerdy kid whose parents only care about his grades, and if he gets anything less than 100, he has to, he's grounded until he brings it back up, and that's part of what you learn. There's a sorority girl type that's all about her looks. She does all the right things, follows all the rules, does everything she's supposed to do out here because her family is all about presentation, but they don't really know who she is, what she likes or not. It doesn't matter. It's all about this. It's everything out here, and they don't even know me. There's an athlete. There's a drug addict criminal. There's a basket case who's, she's there just because she find, we find out in the middle of the movie she just doesn't have anything better to do on a Saturday. And at the end of the whole thing, they come together and they write this letter. The climax of the movie is this letter they write after taking risks in school and sneaking around and, you know, getting half caught and all that. They write this letter to the, sound, to the music of the 80s hit, Don't You Forget About Me by the band Simple Minds. And this is the letter they write because I think it captures... Dear Mr. Vernon, Mr. Vernon is the guy running the detention. We accept the fact that we had to sacrifice a whole Saturday in detention for whatever it was we did wrong. But we think you're crazy for making us write an essay telling you who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us. In the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions, but what we found out is that each one of us is a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, 
the Breakfast Club. Wanderers. Survivors is what we are. In a world that we don't understand that we feel like has been placed in our laps that we didn't have much say over. We're trying to figure it all out. Trying to find our own way. But here's the thing. And this is the voice we bring. At the bottom of it all, just like Timothy, beneath all that risk-taking, overreacting, wandering around in a world we don't understand kind of stuff, lies the deep need to be loved. So when you see someone from Generation X, think of Timothy. Be reminded of that age-old, simple question of faith that wonders if God loves us at all. Does God love me? Does God love me really? The answer, of course, is yes. God does love us. God loves you so much, in fact, that in Jesus Christ, he offers his own life on the cross in order to make sure you know that it's real. And we cannot hear that often enough. For God has gifted you and your generation with something special, a unique voice that needs to be shared with the world, as long as you're willing to share it. Amen.